0: everyone just a quick heads up on some administrative things uh, we are actually going to be off next week i'm going to be off on uh, another codecation and uh, so there will not be a new episode of giant robots however there will be an episode of uh, one of our new podcasts called the lila and brenda show and we're going to drop it right in this giant robots feed it's another wonderful podcast from your friends at thoughtbot and you can listen to that next week take care giant robots smashing into other giant robots Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben, and I'm here today with Nick Gothier. How's it Hello. going, Nick?
1: I'm doing well.
0: It's uh, it's nice to talk to you in person.
1: Yes. Now we're not in meat space. We're in meat space.
0: Yeah, exactly. You can hear the the, the a in the word when you say it a certain way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least my salivation at the idea of meat. <laughs>
0: Definitely. So uh, Nick is here in the esteemed Thoughtbot Studio, sixth floor, of Boston. And we're looking at each other face-to-face like humans do.
1: Yep, listening to the pleasant drone of elevator construction.
0: Yeah, they're ripping out eight stories of elevators uh, yep. times two well, in our building. You, you
1: guys aren't going to get stuck in there anymore, which will be good.
0: Yeah, there's like a series of photos of people at Thoughtbot getting stuck in elevators. It's, yep. it's a bit of a cultural touch point for us. That's <laughs> More, away. Well,
1: rite of passage is what I would call it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. I, I, it won't be missed. Uh, so... One of the things, I can't remember if we actually said this or if we said it after the air, but we mentioned that we were going to talk about what you learned about pitching your company. I thought you had kind of an interesting insight uh, in how to do this sort of elevator pitch slash follow-up.
1: Yeah, and this was really funny because I remember when we recorded the last episode, you started with, pitch your company. And then (laughs) I said something, and and all I said was, MeetSpace is video conferencing for distributed teams. And then there was this awkward silence while you were like, Okay. Yeah, and uh, and and then and then what? You mm-hmm. know, like your elevator pitch, not your you know s- single stair pitch. <laughs> um, and it came from uh, the company that I started before this one, which was in sales automation. And um, we don't have to talk about sales automation, but I learned a lot from my co-founder who used to be in sales and then uh, worked in marketing after that. And it was the way that he would pitch something, the way that he would sell and describe a product. And until then, I thought that the best way to pitch something would be you have your elevator pitch. You have your, I have 60 seconds to sell this thing hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk and I have to hit every single point that's going to be uh, possibly interesting to the other person, right? And the other person doesn't say anything. It's like a pitch. You can just, you can do a recording, right? Mm-hmm. And what I learned listening to him pitch it, because we did cold calls to pitch the company, mm. um, and I could hear him do the cold calls and he would write the script for uh, our salesperson, is that his pitches were never enough. He would give you a little bit, you know, the same way I say, meet is video conferencing for distributed teams. And then your brain fills up with questions, you know, and it's those questions that actually create the pitch itself. So I don't go and list all of our most popular features and mm-hmm. or try to guess what you want. I simply leave you with too little, and then you're hungry for more. Or mm-hmm. you don't care, and then I didn't waste either of our time, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know if you want to play along. Yeah, sure. But... but you know, if I pitch you and I say Meetspace is video conferencing for distributed teams, like, you know, what does that make you think? Like, where do you go from there?
0: Uh, I'd be like, well, is it like Hangouts, but it is more reliable connection wise or something like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's like Hangouts, except since we don't go through a central server, mm-hmm. there isn't that additional audio delay. Mm-hmm. And the audio is higher quality, right? So now we talked about something that you cared about. Right. You know, I didn't talk about some other feature that maybe you don't care about at all. We talked about exactly what your most important, highest priority question was mm. about video conferencing. And now I know not only did I answer your question, but I also know more about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also tried to answer that pretty quick mm-hmm. and not say anything else. Right. And so instead of trying to push your product down somebody else's throat, I like to have them pull it out of my throat, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was a that was a very valuable lesson I learned in pitching, and it also feels a whole lot less fake, you know. Like I okay, pitch mode, you know, recite script. Yep. Um, it's just now we're having a conversation.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I think that's a really that sounds very valuable, and it also kind of I think works on a psychological principle where if you say a thing and then stop, and are just comfortable with that silence, I feel Mm -hmm. sort of compelled to then respond in some way.
1: Yeah. And at least we're, at least we're talking, at least we're engaged.
0: Right. Right, Exactly. But if you're bludgeoning me with the pitch, it's kind of like, okay, I can just kind of tune out or something.
1: Yeah. And, and you can't skim a pitch, you know, you can skim a marketing (laughs) site, (laughs) but if you're sort of sitting there like, all right, all right, all right, all geez, I don't care about all this stuff, you know? Right. Um, So, I mean, at least you can also get to know a whole lot faster as well.
0: Totally. That gives you as the pitcher feedback about what people's first questions are like you you can start to build like a histogram in your head of like wow everyone seems to say like you know this thing
1: yeah or like i don't have an answer to that you know Mm -hmm. that's my fault should that be a feature or is that a disqualification question like you know am i not going to serve this customer because they are interested in this thing that i don't do or should i be doing that you know and then you wouldn't get that from a pitch you wouldn't get a question that you couldn't answer you know Mm. from you pitching and then walking away right you wouldn't know why
0: and I guess the response to a long pitch is either like, all right, I want to buy, or like, cool, thanks. Yeah. Like, how do I respond guess, if you've just talked to me for 60 guess seconds? Guess which one's more likely. Yeah, right? exactly.
1: Um, like, cool, yeah, sounds yeah, good. Yeah. Good luck. Yep.
0: Whereas a conversation, it kind of, it can lead a lot more naturally to that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And I, I didn't do any of the cold calling for that company, but I have gone and like pitched products and like worked product booths at mm-hmm. conferences. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you the same thing applies there. If you're like pitching your product to people, uh, you know, on a, like uh, at a conference running the booth, right? And you got to give a demo or something like that. Mm-hmm. I helped one of my uh, other teams that I was working on demo their product. And it was the same sort of thing. It's like there's people walking by and... uh People would literally walk up and go, pitch me. And then they'd cross their arms and lean back, you know, just waiting for <laughs> oh, the God. wave to hit them. There were a good number of people who they just wanted the pamphlet that you had to show their boss that they looked at the products like it was their job to go to this conference. Mm. And it's like, I don't want to spend time on that person at all. Yeah. You know? And then there were people where with that very first question, you would know, like, where they are in the market. Are they going to be an early adopter of your product? is your product even a good fit for them? Because if it's not, like you shouldn't be trying to, to sell them either. Like the goal is to find someone where it's a really good fit because it's going to be mutually beneficial. Like everyone's just going to be really excited. Yep. And those people, you just keep talking and talking and talking to, right? Hmm. Um, and then the people where it's not a good fit, you just have a, a shorter conversation and it doesn't work out and that's okay too. Right.
0: You know? But you've tailored it to the people that, that it's a good fit for.
1: Yeah. And the people that were getting so excited about it, right? we would just be like, okay, you know what? We've talked a bunch. Let me just show you how it works. And it just transitions seamlessly into doing a demo because at that point, they're like really excited to see the demo as Mm -hmm. opposed to like waiting every 10 minutes or so, starting another one. Everyone stands around in a circle. Now you're just one on one with the one person out of the group that was like super excited, you know, much better and more enjoyable use of your time.
0: Yeah. I like the power of silence in that technique. Yeah. I think that works really well in like negotiation as well. Like Mm -hmm. you're talking about salary. You're like, well, I'm looking for X. And then the hard part is to just shut up, and stop. Right,
1: right, yeah. And you and you, you want to be like, but you know, I mean, but if, if, if I could, had to go lower, that's may, okay too. I, yeah, you know,
0: yeah. Don't don't <laughs> ruin it. But for like, I'm I'm, actually, I'm asking for more than I think I'll get because and so there's a little wiggle room. So if that's too yeah. much, then that's okay too.
1: Yeah. So it's surprising. It's, it's surprising, but we we know listening is a really valuable skill. You want to be listening at least as much as you talk right? But it just doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would apply to sales or negotiations, but I think yeah. it absolutely does.
0: And one more place that, that just occurred to me that I use this is during talks. A lot of the times I will say, let's have some questions. And it takes a lot of discipline to just sit there and wait. Yeah. And most speakers will say, does anyone have any questions?
1: No, no. Okay. okay. Yeah. So no, or, no, no. Or,
0: or even worse, No. No. everyone understands this, right? Or does anyone not understand this? And then move on. Have you ever taught a workshop uh, yes. So I've taught a couple too, and
1: I learned that you can't ask everybody how they're doing. Hmm. It doesn't work mm-hmm. because the people that are doing well are just like, I'm doing well, you know, and the people that are struggling don't want to admit in front of the whole class of people who are clearly all doing well because they didn't say anything that they're not doing well. Right. The only way you can really unstick people who are getting stuck at workshops is to go around to everybody's computer and talk to everybody individually and ask them how they're doing constantly. Yeah. So I'd always be working the room or like, you know, looping the room, going by and you get to know the names of the people that are, you know, going to need some help and you can check in with them. And then, you know, the, you know, you you know, who are the people who are doing just fine. Right. So... Being able to check with them individually like that is, uh, is really valuable. Yeah, and, and the same thing with talks. Like, you got to wait them out. Right. You know, because you're happy to talk. Of course you are. You're in front of everyone. Right. Um, but everybody in the audience is going to need a little bit more of a push to, but, to ask a question.
0: And there's time dilation. Like, there's a difference in time that you experience standing there waiting for questions mm-hmm. and how people in the audience experience that time. Yeah. Because there's something in your brain that's like, my job as the speaker is to make make noises for the duration of the talk slot and if i stand there and and no one's asking a question and i'm not talking something is wrong yeah uh, whereas yeah. the audience goes oh let me think do i have a question oh yeah i was wondering about that thing before is it too late is anyone else going to ask a question should i mm-hmm. hold off a second and like that feels like an eternity as a speaker there's something about it where it's just like it's there's something uncomfortable about it
1: yeah yeah well it's because you're supposed to be the show you know? <laughs> yeah and, uh, and you just hit pause. Yeah. It, so it is awkward.
0: Exactly. So, but that's when the power of the silence works mm-hmm. because eventually the audience, like occasionally, usually I'll just get a question after a reasonable amount of time, but sometimes the audience, like there's nothing, but I'm like, no, I said, let's have some questions and I meant it and I'm going to stand here in silence.
1: Yeah. Or sometimes if you're like just talking about one topic for a really long time and uh, you're like, mm, maybe we should move on. You don't really ever move on until you stop talking about that thing.
0: Yeah. You know, Totally. Cool. So I, I like that pitch technique. That's really good. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to touch on with you is working solo.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I wrote a, I wrote a good blog post about, at least I think it's good, about this um, and about staying motivated. And we'll, we'll link it down below. And uh, a big part of it was routine. Mm. And it was keeping myself in the expectation that it was like now I'm going to work and I would always work particular hours. You know, I'd work in a particular pattern, I'd, and at the beginning I was going to a co-working space because that helped very much to put my head into a, a work mindset, mm-hmm. and that rhythm helped me a lot because when you have a choice between, okay, should I write code now or is this going to be one of those mornings where I watch TV? Hmm, which one am I going to pick? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like It's like going to the gym where I found I was a lot better going to the gym when I had a schedule mm-hmm. than when it was, how am I feeling after work? You know, so having that having that set schedule is really helpful and it certainly helped that my wife works. So we got up at the same time for an alarm for her schedule. We would have breakfast together. She would go to work and I would go to work, mm-hmm. you know, that certainly helped a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you think about uh, looking for a co-founder at any point?
1: Not for not for Meatspace. No. And I think it was because I knew in this particular situation that I could do what I needed to do to get to the MVP by myself. Mm hmm. I also at least with meat space I didn't really want to split it up because every time you split it up it's kind of like taking funding where you you move to your goal higher up before mm-hmm. you're successful at least in the in the first case you mm-hmm. know so instead of having to have enough profitability to sustain myself I'd have to sustain myself and someone else mm-hmm. who hopefully shares my values and my financial needs because if there's a mismatch there then we also have some priority issues and I mean this, this is all part of working with somebody else which i think is very very valuable mm-hmm. but just wasn't a, a fit for meat space at the beginning mm-hmm. and i don't think i ruled out bringing people onto the team you know at good equity levels right mm-hmm. i haven't needed it yet i've been able to use uh freelancers and friends and advisors and that's gotten me this far but who knows where i'll go from there
0: yeah and the solitude doesn't uh doesn't bother you
1: no i'm uh I think what my wife calls me is a well-adjusted introvert. Mm -hmm. So I'm introverted in the sense that I gain energy and focus from being alone, from being in the quiet or from having a close relationship with a small number of people. Mm -hmm. And so being at home is like the most energizing situation for me to do work. Mm -hmm. Like that's actually where I really feel calm and I feel focused. Mm -hmm. Um, So being in a co-working space even takes away from that. It makes me feel like I'm at work, like I should be working the whole time. But at home, I really think about what I should be doing, hmm. you know, what I should be focusing on. Whereas in a co-working space, I feel like I better be typing this whole time, <laughs> you know. And then being at a big office with a lot of other people can be pretty draining. Like there have been times, you know, I mean, the dreaded open office plan, being seated near salespeople, right. That stuff has, uh, has always taken a toll on me, yeah. um, really tires you out to have that noise, that distraction level, or at least I should say it tires me out as an introverted person. Yeah.
0: Hmm. I wish I were more productive at home. Like I enjoy the simplicity and like the, I don't have to go anywhere and all my stuff is right here and like I can do, I don't know, I, there's no, there's no overhead to it, but I just am not as effective from, from home for some reason.
1: Yeah. So I would say I don't work the, as, as many hours when I'm Mm -hmm. working from home, but I still think I'm just as effective because, and I guess this is coming from the same things we were talking about before with the sales pitch. Instead of pushing the work out of you, like you let it get pulled out of you by it needing to be done, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I think about this, I think back to high school and summer vacation where at the beginning of summer vacation, you're like, oh my gosh, finally, I can do all this stuff that I wasn't able to do while I was at school. I'm going to play video games until my face melts off. Like, it's going to be awesome, right? By the end of summer vacation, you're like, I miss my friends. I don't want to play video games all day. You know, I want to go back and and go back to school and see everybody. Mm -hmm. And the same thing kind of happens with working from home. Like, you start working from home and you're like, oh man, I can just, half today, I'm just going to play video games, you Mm -hmm. know? But after a little while... It's just like I don't want to do this every day. Right. Like now I really want to work. And then the work that you do when you really want to work is your best work. Mm. So I don't work as much, but the work that I do is exactly what needs to be done and I'm excited about it. And having that feeling, I think Trump's working more hours. Totally. Um or working all the time.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you said something to me earlier which is that you're you're like I'm not working a full week right now. Like you don't have a set full-time normal schedule working on Meatspace even though this is your baby and you're trying to get it off the ground and it's your income source of income yeah you're not just like cranking on it 60 hours a week
1: yeah i was i was cranking on it in march april and may because Mm -hmm. in march i built the alpha in april i built the beta and in may it was like bug smash season pretty Mm -hmm. much june july august and september has been more of like it's been a much slower pace and it's been different goals. The goal has been talking to people, making sure I'm building the right thing, writing a lot of blog posts and focusing on my metrics. I mean, a big thing about August was coming up with the pricing, you know, and sometimes you're just waiting for survey results, you know, (laughs) or you're waiting to hear back from a bunch of customer touches that Mm -hmm. week. Right. And why do something that has minimal return? Because, your time isn't free, you know? When you work on something, you are it's at least going to tire you out a bit to mm-hmm. work on something. But if I'm relaxing instead, when something comes up that I really need to work on, I'm fresh and I'm ready for it, mm. you know? So I think taking those rests from the work helps you do the work better when you need to do it. Sort of like a capacity management thing, maybe shares some theories with like working out, taking like rest days, you know, when you're working out to be able to, you know, lift more weight the next time, right? Or run further.
0: Mm-hmm. I like thought a lot leaving some in the tank each time.
1: Yeah, and 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 not just leaving some in the tank, but leaving it enough like, you know, for the solar panel to charge the battery back up, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, imagine every day that you work is one of those days where you feel really good. You know, sometimes you have those days, sometimes sometimes you don't. Yeah. And in my case, I work on the days where I feel great and I really want to work. And the days that I'm just feeling really unmotivated, I'm going to go for a run, you know? I'm going to watch some conference talks or something. Maybe I'll send some customer emails, right? Mm. I'm going to do some stuff that I don't really have to apply my entire mental energy at because then it's like it's just diminishing returns and you're going to mentally exhaust yourself, burn yourself out. So you just sort of relax. You come back around on Monday and you're like, you know what? I'm going to tackle that crazy issue, that bug from last week that was driving me nuts. I'm ready for that now. I feel good.
0: That makes perfect sense to me and it, it sounds like me In that Mm -hmm. there are certain times where I have the inspiration and I'm like, and I'm just going fast and hard and other times where I don't. And I think part of my challenge over the next whatever, like my, my, one of my current things is coming to peace with that is just accepting that there are off days and maybe even off weeks where it's like the next step isn't clear and I'm figuring it out or I'm kind of waiting to, for something to come back that will help me make this decision. And it's okay to have those downtimes too, because I tend to get, I feel guilt on those yeah, some of those downtimes, right? where it's like, yeah. I could put in more. I know I could do more hours of like doing stuff. And so I, f- I feel bad usually.
1: <laughs> well, the, there's two things that I think about that help me with that. The first one is I just remember the times I've burned out, hmm. you know, I've burned out a few times. Hmm. And if I just think about that, I'm like, you remember that time you didn't work for three months because you quit because you were burned out. And mm. you just couldn't even go again for, for three months before you felt like working, right? Mm. Let's not get there, right? you know? And then the other thing that I think about is, I mean, as developers, everyone has had this moment where they are banging their head against the wall trying to fix a bug. And eventually they're like, I've been here too late. I need to just go home. And you go home. You sit on your commute. You know, you rest You go to sleep, you come in the next day, you look at the bug and you're like, oh yeah, oh, semicolon, yep, line 34, Mm -hmm. you know? And you're like, I couldn't couldn't hit that, right? Because you're drained. And those hours you spent the day before were worth nothing, Mm -hmm. right? And then the 10 minutes that you spent when you came in the next morning, you fixed it, right? right? So if you keep yourself really well rested and mentally ready to attack anything, the times that something needs to be attacked, you just do an amazing job and you feel great, you know? (laughs) And then it just took adjusting, like the guilt you were talking about, yeah, to the point where I think what helped me with that was when I did do something and it was really awesome, and then I shared it with my my customers, and they were like, "This is great," and I felt really good. And I right. was like, "Why should I do something else?"
0: Yeah, you know? totally.
1: Um, but yeah, sometimes I just hang out and I pet my cats and I watch YouTube videos. Yeah, you know,
0: hmm. I like that a lot because I I tended to bounce between extremes at times. I just touched on this recently, but I'll get really excited about a project or an initiative or whatever and go really hard on it and be very fired up and then have a, there'll be a, a transition will happen where suddenly I'm learning less or it slows down or something and I kind of will lose interest in it. And often I'll sort of violently cycle back in the other direction, which is like, I don't even want to look at that thing. I don't want to hear about it. It's, I, I, it makes me sick. Do you run? I don't.
1: Okay. I'm going to talk about running anyways. Okay.
0: <laughs> I've done it. I understand um, the, the concept. So...
1: When you run, your pacing is really important, Mm -hmm. and that's going to depend on your your strength, your endurance, and the distance that you're going to run. Most runners run different distances at different runs every week, and Mm -hmm. it's sort of like a weekly routine. It might be like a short one where you go fast, a medium one, and a long one where you go slow. And if you run too fast at the beginning, you're going to burn out on your run, and you're going to have to slow down And it's not equal. The amount that you have to slow down to compensate for going too fast is not a faster pace than if you just ran a perfect average pace for yourself. Mm. And so one of the things that runners talk about a lot, something that's a goal that's really hard to hit, is the idea of a negative split. So if I'm going to run five miles, the idea is I would split that into five single miles. Mm -hmm. And I would look at my times for those miles. And my goal is to have those times go down. So get faster as I continue going. Mm -hmm. So my first mile is the slowest mile. Second mile, faster, 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 faster. Because it's the opposite of burning yourself out. And what you'll find is as you do more and more of the running, you're going to be more aware of how much energy that you have to spend. Mm-hmm. And then the best part is when at the end of your run, you can run hard because then you feel the best because you're finishing, you know? And if you're running a race, that's when everyone's clapping and cheering usually. <laughs> right. And then being able to throw a sprint in at the end, it feels amazing, right. right? But running the first mile or two really fast and then having to walk a bit, being short of breath, like having your heart rate go too high, it feels awful. right? So I try to think about what's it going to look like for meet space if I had negative splits, Huh. Like if, I, if I'm if i going slow in the beginning and then as I get more comfortable, as I'm more aware of what I can do, then I speed up, you know? I guess I'm like almost seven months into the company now. So it's, you know, it's very new, but I feel great. I don't feel burnt out. I don't feel like it was a crazy, like Mountain Dew and Doritos summer of terrible sprinting, yeah. you know? I feel like I'm really ready to do whatever's next. And huh. I think that feeling is invaluable.
0: Yeah, totally. And I gotta imagine that like, the people that feel great towards the end of the race are the competitors you would worry about. It's not the people that burned out real fast and yeah, gassed yeah. themselves earlier. You start on. at
1: the beginning, you see that one guy go off. Yeah. And it's either two things are true. They're going to burn out and you're going to pass them later mm-hmm. or they're better than you. Right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which happens too, of course.
0: Sure. This is interesting. You don't match the picture. Those statements make total sense, but it's just not like what I would have guessed, I suppose, given someone in your position.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very calm. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, and, for uh, sure.
0: <laughs> You're calming this whole studio right now.
1: Yep, and I and I've always been that way. And I really do not work well under pressure, and so I think that that's made me specifically very sensitive to it hmm. uh, and aware of it. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because I have stress triggered migraines, mm. and so there's a bit of a physical aspect to totally. I cannot hit this limit, and so. I've always tried to make sure that that balance was really as best it can be.
0: Huh. I wonder if that's like a kind of a blessing, actually, those, those migraines. No, it's really not. It's not? No, it's not fun at all. Okay. Well, so, okay. So let's not call it that. But so stress is one of those things that in most people is somewhat insidious, I guess, meaning like there's not very clear manifestation of it. Yeah. And so it's not obvious yeah. how it's affecting your body.
1: Yeah. Definitely but, a boiling a frog scenario.
0: Yeah but it like it does terrible things to you like it causes weight gain it causes heart problems it causes all kinds of downstream effects that are not like that that build up over years and so it doesn't sound great that you get migraines but like your body gives you fat you have faster feedback loops i guess
1: yeah yeah i guess so and they're very very not fun and so it is a pretty good deterrent
0: yeah i've heard this technique for dealing with arguing as a couple Hmm. which is, (laughs) okay, if you're gonna have an argument, you can only have arguments in the bathroom and one of you has to be in the bathtub naked. (laughs) And A, it's kind of hard to have a serious argument when one of you is just like laying there naked, but also like, it's a pain. It's annoying to stop what you're doing and go over there and like set up this scenario. Mm -hmm. And so like, apparently, like this is pure anecdote, but you know, this couple tried this and you know, it just quickly became a thing where they would kind of like start to argue, like the argument would start to escalate and they would both just kind of like look over at the bathroom. And be like, do we really want to go do the, that stupid bathroom thing? of like, no. All yeah, right, can yeah. we just resolve this now? Yes. Adding a cost to
1: it. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: A clear, immediate cost mm-hmm. as opposed to like the long-term builds-up-over-time cost.
1: Yeah. And it's harder to come back. Like the more stress you get, the further on you get into it, the, the more time it takes to recover. The same thing with the running. Like your average pace is lower the longer you build up a bigger amount of, uh, of stress. You know? You're mm. going to pay for it more. You know, Mm -hmm. there's interest on it, I guess, is is a way to think about it.
0: Yeah. This is good. This feels like uh, work therapy. Yeah. I'm like, I'm I'm putting myself into all these conversations and thinking about my my guilt and my stress and all that.
1: Mm -hmm. It's time to take a vacation.
0: (sighs) I I don't know if it's the vacation thing. I think it's more just mindset shifts. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of coming to terms with how I work and the realities of that. Mm -hmm. And it's all internal pressure. Like, this is not pressure from other people, like colleagues or anything like that. It's just me. And so if I can just convince myself <laughs> of these things being true and like a good way to do them, then I think it'll all be okay. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but vacation does not reset me for some reason. That's not what works for me personally.
1: It can depend a lot on what kind of vacations you yeah. go on. If sure. you go on an adventure vacation, then yeah. you probably added stress yeah. to your life. That's probably part if of it. If you go on a do nothing vacation um, or you know a staycation, those yeah. are always really good. Yeah. The trick is like, have you ever really felt completely rested? You know, have you ever felt like you know what? I literally cannot rest anymore, to the point that I'm getting really bored and I have to do something. Yeah, you totally. know, like when was the last time you really felt like that?
0: Um, I took a sabbatical. Uh, to so it took you a while to get there. It took right? you a while.
1: More time than you'd put for a vacation.
0: Uh, yes, the first yeah, because I mean it's it's a week to sort of just get adjusted to the idea of like not getting up and going somewhere. Yeah. So it was it was probably you know a few weeks in or maybe a month in where it was like okay there's there's no more sleeping or relaxing that I want to do right now. Right. I'm done. Yeah. Now
1: I want to work again. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I try to hit that feeling every like week or two or three or at least every month. Get to the point where it's like okay you know what I really want to do some work now. Mm -hmm. You know. It reminds me also of of times that I've gone on diets. Hmm. And one time there was this time I was really thinking like when was the last time I was legit super hungry, like re- like I really need some food. And I realized I've been eating at the same times every day because it was time to eat. But a lot of the times I wasn't even that hungry. It was just like time to eat, Yeah, you know? So it's the same sort of thing. Like you really get to the point where you're hungry and then you eat and it's like, yeah,
0: you know? <laughs> totally.
1: So it's like that with, uh, with working too, like resting to the point where you really feel rested and you want to be doing your work again. Not to the point where you're like, okay, now I feel like I can go back to work and not die, mm-hmm. you know? But really, recover. Hmm.
0: I like that mentality a lot for someone that's going to be working on a business for a long time, because I feel like that's the that's the hard part is showing up again and again and again and again and like outlasting. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's some degree to which business success can be attributed to just keeping going and not dying and not burning out and not blowing up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, the, it's, it's the saying like, you know, we're we're running a marathon, not a sprint, yeah, right? Totally. If you're a really fast runner, you run a marathon in, like, two and a half hours, right? If you're Mm -hmm. a slow runner, you run a marathon in, like, you know, four to five hours. Mm -hmm. um, Or, you know, I would say an average runner, right? I I haven't run a marathon. But uh, we're talking about a couple of hours, right? And a business is going to be years. Mm -hmm. So, like, humans don't have any mechanisms built into them physically that that keeps them paced for years. Right. Right. We think about a day. Yeah. We think about hours. So... I found it was the sort of thing I had to figure out and I had to control it mentally. I had to understand it and, and, and limit it on myself, you know, hold my pace back so that I can be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I was listening to a podcast where a coach was talking about this trend of people like taking a picture of their hands that they had like torn their calluses during training as like kind of a, a badge of honor. I was like, look how hard I worked out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, my response to that is always like, you idiot. Yeah. There's no single workout you could do That's better than the effect you would get by not hurting yourself and coming back to the gym tomorrow.
1: Right. And that was the, that was the hardest thing for me to figure out when I was running. I had to come to terms with how slow I had to run so that I could run three times a week. Yeah because I would run and I'd try really, really hard that one time and I'd be super proud of it. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of running any time in the next five days would not work because my legs were just on fire, like Mm. so super sore, you know, not stretched out, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I just really slow it down so that I could run multiple times
0: per week. Totally, totally. Yeah, same thing. Interesting. So you aren't hammering at this then. You're not like, you know, sprinting. So Mm -hmm. what kind of things are you doing as you marathon forward? (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right now, the biggest thing that I'm working towards is marketing and and awareness. And so, you know, super duper happy that I get to come on the podcast and talk about all kinds of stuff and and challenges and things because I'm getting to talk to lots of awesome people out there that I think could really benefit from Mm Meatspace. And so so that's a big part of it. Constantly talking to customers, knowing all of them individually, what their companies do, why they're using Meatspace, and always making sure that I built the right product for them. That's also really important, and then uh, just yeah, just marketing and awareness. Like I'm gonna be doing some speaking, gonna go to conferences, writing a bunch of blog posts, like all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, all the stuff that you think about as all the little things when you're when you're coding it, and then you get there and you're like, okay, these are actually really hard. Yeah, you know
0: exactly. It's easy as a developer to be like, oh, just write more code equals progress.
1: Yeah, right. If you build it, they will come. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, one thing that we didn't, didn't touch on last week that I wanted to talk about was costs yeah. of running the app. Yep. So you're, you're very early phases. You're less than 20 customers, I think, at this yep. point. What does it cost to run a service like this?
1: Well, I'm really happy about Heroku's free SSL. Uh-huh. So you can probably guess how much my app costs because that $20 SSL add-on was a good half of my costs to run the app. Yeah. So Meatspace runs on a hobby dyno, uh-huh. nice <laughs> uh, so so our, the costs are really low i pay for i pay for the dyno i pay for um larger postgres database through yep. Heroku i pay for d n s yep and I think that's it mm-hmm so it's it's extremely extremely lightweight right now, yeah, and I have a lot of headroom
0: uh-huh how do you cover your uh two hundred thousand dollar founder salary
1: yeah right the the sweat no I'm that i'm just i'm budgeting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. No, we, we,
1: Ben and I went to lunch earlier today and I just had to check and make sure like, are you paying for this? Cause I really shouldn't be going out to lunch. Like yep. that's where I am. Right. right. You're paying with sweat. Mm-hmm. And so this also really affected my marketing too, because when I talk to people like about what what's the most effective way for me to market right now and they say, what's your budget? And I tell them like 50 bucks and a bucket of sweat, mm-hmm. you know, and so in that case, it's it's all about content marketing mm-hmm. because I can go and figure something out and uh, and write about it, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, right now the costs are very very low. It's simply just burn rate against savings.
0: Yeah, you said a term earlier that I liked, which was wife's wife strapping.
1: Yeah, that, that was actually, that was David Cancel uh, over at Drift, um, also here in Boston. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he, he said I was uh, wife-strapped, which I love because uh, my wife's really smart. She's also doing code, except it's applied to uh, genetic science, which is even cooler than anything that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's pretty much paying the bills while I'm doing this. And, you know, I'm, I'm still contributing and uh, I'm still saving too, but uh, to a much lesser extent than her. And so part of that is like, okay, I'm not going to take us out to awesome fancy restaurants anymore because I'm not pulling a developer salary. But what I'll do instead is I do the grocery shopping and I do the cooking, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. And so just paying with sweat yeah. every, everywhere,
0: yeah. you know. But not too much sweat, not not sprint sweat.
1: No, 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 no. And uh, and cooking's fun anyways. That's I love true. I love to cook. It is. So now it's really funny because when I was a developer like we get home it's like oh what do you want for dinner? Oh I don't know something fast. It's already like 6:30. I'm kind of burnt out. I don't know. I guess like some mac and cheese and we'll throw some broccoli in it. Mm-hmm. You know. But now it's like she comes home and I'm just like I braised a pork shoulder. <laughs> nice. Like all afternoon. Yep. You know. I'm going to I'm going to take it out now. I'm going to reduce the sauce a little bit. We're going to ha- I'm going to hand make a bunch of tortillas. We're going to make some homemade tacos, you know. And it's like it's really fun and it's really good food and you feel good and Part of that's because i'm i 'm rested, you know I feel yeah. good, I feel like I can go do a whole bunch of cooking
0: yeah you know? I found cooking a really satisfying hobby to get into yeah it's like it's a creative it's analytical it 's a little bit like programming where it sort of marries those two like there's mm-hmm. a there's an algorithm, but there's also creativity within that analytical framework yeah,
1: and it has the same process of going from building from being a beginner into into mastery Mm -hmm. where at the beginning you're just sort of following the rules and then you start to improvise Mm -hmm. on it yourself Mm -hmm. and then you're like oh i like that recipe except i changed this to that because i like it better totally and then near the end you're like somebody will ask you like oh man this this soup is so good can i have the recipe and you're just like there isn't one i made soup right i just know how to make soup now yeah you know
0: totally the biggest moment where that became clear to me that i had sort of leveled up my cooking was I was I was working on a recipe and it called to do a, it said to do a certain thing and I was like it seems wrong nah, to me yeah. like, this, I feel like we should I should have done this first and in, in a separate pot and whatever but I did it anyway and then I was, and it turned out poorly and I was like yeah, yeah that's exactly what I thought was going to happen yep. and I was like okay yep. now I'm at the point where I can spot problems in recipes like that's a I'm at a new level now
1: yeah yeah it's the same thing like when you're reading a blog post and you're like okay you know you said that thing I'm going to do it this way because it's better in my situation right you know it's the same thing
0: yeah. yeah. It's very gratifying. And then you get to eat it. Then you get to eat it. Yeah. That yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. And there's something special I think about making a thing that someone else consumes.
1: Yeah. I love cooking for people. I actually just last Saturday I hosted an Oktoberfest mm-hmm. where I cooked I think I made four different German dishes. Oh, cool. And everybody really liked it and that feels amazing. And totally it's like the same feeling, I think like, I'm I'm going to bring it all back together now. Oh, baby. Launching, launching meat space, getting it into people's hands, having them use it, and just, then just tell me, like, this is amazing. Like, I love this. This is mm-hmm. so much better than anything else that I've used. It feels the same way as, like, just giving somebody a really delicious taco, you know? <laughs> and they're just like, this is so good. And you're like, I know, and I made it. Like, you're welcome, you know?
0: It's wonderful. Perfect place to stop. Let's wrap it up there today's show was produced and edited by stacy's tom has got it going on obarski if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 215 thanks for listening